Broadcasting from Stan Firm Media Studios in Michigan, this is Candid Christian Conversations. This time, from greenhouse gas emissions, air pollution, climate change, deforestation, waste, and shrinking freshwater sources, are Christians contributing to the devastation of Earth? Have Christians turned a blind eye to one of God's greatest creations? Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am joined by Rick this time. Rick, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Excellent. So nice to have you on. Nice to be here. Let's get into the definition of environmentalist. So a person who is concerned with or advocates the protection of the environment. Seems pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, and that's a short explanation, which is a little broader. Yeah. Most certainly. Now, in your opinion, do Christians take for granted the earth and its resources? I think some do. I think the world around us does to some degree, too. It's hard to say as a percentage of the population, you know, maybe how it breaks down. Christians overall, I think some just don't really think about the subject. And some are dismissive because uh, say you're like me and you're skeptical about the whole global warming theory and how much is under our control versus maybe it's natural occurrences. Because I reject that particular thing, sometimes when I see something on the news and it's grouping things together, but that's a part of it, I'll get a little dismissive, whereas some of that stuff is stuff I would legitimately be concerned about. Okay. That makes good sense. If we're wasteful, that's one of the things scripture is very clear about is being good stewards. Right. I, I think there's a number of places where we're told to be good stewards. If you go back to Genesis, Genesis 1.26, I think you're going to ask me about scripture, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, what it, uh, what does the Bible tell us about caring for the earth? Well, in, in uh, this, I'm reading from the ESV today. It says uh, in Genesis 1:26, then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." And that's positionally when God made us, He put us over all the other creation. Okay. Now, just because we have dominion over, we shouldn't be entitled to be abusive. Uh, you know, you're still supposed to be a caretaker, to be uh, a wise steward, right? Yep. With with the way we treat nature as well as everything else. And if you say, what does the Bible say about it? This is an interesting one that I came across. And it's, and it's in the law, as Moses uh, was re- repeating the law to the people just before they were going to go in and take possession of the land that God provided them. God knew that they would have to fight war, basically, with the people that lived there already when they came into the land. And in Deuteronomy 20, verse 19, it says, When you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that they should be besieged by you? So there's a consideration that God is pointing out to his people that, hey, don't just go chopping everything down and destroying it, right? Right. (laughs) It's okay to use the fruit, but the trees didn't do anything to you, right? (laughs) In the case of, say, a lumber business, they cut trees down because that's their crop, but they also plant trees, (laughs) 
Yeah. Because they need to, they need another crop. For a future generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think there's any more in Scripture that would say, hey, Christians, be environmentalists? You know, Not specifically to that end. There's one that I found when I looked at some websites. Um, I guess an, another one you could use is Matthew 10.29, uh, when Jesus is talking about our value to God. And he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So God cares for the birds that had little value in the marketplace and to us, yet they were valuable enough to God that he takes care of them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the flowers of the field and how God takes care of them, right? So he'll take care of you as well, right? He cares for us. But he, he points out that in all the things in his creation, he has consideration for. And so in that sense, we should be environmentalists of not wantonly destroying or being wasteful. I don't think it's wrong to use the resources because we're in the, in the position to, to be able to do that. Yep. Uh, but use them wisely, not wastefully. I couldn't agree more. This is the other scripture that I come across where I think it's actually being misused. And this is, I found on a couple of places that are really like a church that was actually promoting things you can do for Earth Day, you know. And to me, that's almost like a pagan holiday. Agree. Because it, it's it's putting the creation on a pedestal, yep. but not recognizing the creator. Right. And God's the creator. He made everything to begin with. Everything's made through him and by him and for him. And we're a part of that. You know, uh, we're made in his image. So that's why we're the caretakers of of his creation. But to worship the creation uh, is going too far. You're displacing God from his position when you do that. Right. And so that makes me question it. Everywhere where I did see it used, because I I did a little research and Googled and looked at two or three or four different websites to see what their takes on things were. And everywhere where it was used, it was not used in context. They're they're taking a particular word, the word pollute, uh, which a lot of English translations use this word in this passage. But it can also be translated as the word defile. Okay. And we know what pollute means, but even when you look up the definition of pollute, it mentions defilement there. So in this passage is in Numbers, and it's talking about when God set up the cities of refuge for a manslayer to flee to. And in Numbers 35, verse 33 and 34, it says, You shall not pollute the land and let you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. So God is present with the people dwelling among them. And this is specifically the shedding of innocent blood that he sees defiling the land. And in that same scripture, he's giving the solution to that. And that is to the life of the one who slayed an innocent person was to be taken from him. They're to be put on trial and stoned. So 
you wouldn't apply that to the environment. I can't say because I polluted the environment. Now you have to kill the polluter and that'll make things equal. Oh, right. Because <laughs> no. technically, if you, you want to take that scripture and put it literally, that's what it, that's what you would have to say in right. a way. And we know that that doesn't mean that. Yeah. So I discount that scripture being used as the idea of the environment because it's really talking about the spiritual element of destruction, death. You know, God, we, we all have value enough that he went to the cross for us. Taking someone's life is an affront to God, you know? And so when God's bringing them into the people and telling them how to behave, he's saying this should never happen among your people, right? Right. If a Christian became a staunch environmentalist, does that mean they don't trust in God's plan? I think this one's a slippery slope, and that's why I kind of wanted to bring it up. Yeah, I, I kind of like the way you phrased it, too, because it makes it tricky. <laughs> uh, I would say it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean they don't trust in God's plan. They might have a different view of what God's plan is. Okay. Um, not everyone interprets all the different scriptures the same way, right? Correct. And, and so some people have a different view of where we are in the timeline of events in the Bible, maybe, and, and things that are prophesied to be in the future. And they may have a different, a different idea about how much it's up to us. You know, some people are very, I want to stand back and just God's in control and whatever God does, I'm, I'm trusting in, and almost like they don't have a part in it. Like life happens and they accept whatever happens as, hey, God did that. And then there's other people that think God calls you to be somehow proactive. And by doing that, you're fulfilling your call to God and you're, you're following God's right. will. Okay. And um, there's arguments to be made for or against either view. And uh, I can't sit and say to somebody, because you have that view, that you're, you're in some way incorrect. I would just say, check your motives and make sure, you know, I, I know Christians can agree and disagree on certain subjects and just don't be too, too overboard with anything that, that would take God's place. Right. That's what I would say. So I, I guess it would depend on what actions they feel they should take as an environmentalist and how far they go with things. God's still in control of nature. As far as I know, we really don't have a way. We can reshape some things, use irrigation, and we can do things. But like, we can't control volcanoes. No. <laughs> a good volcanic eruption does massive things to the uh, environment, right? And the effects of a eruption can be felt two years down the road in the area that it happened in, and it could be floating around up in the, in, up in the air. So if you spend all your time and effort to erase your own carbon footprint, and then one eruption happens, it just did... Like your whole lifetime, you're not going to shape the environment as much as that one eruption did. And right. God is still in control of that eruption. Right. You know, or he's allowing it to happen. Can how we treat the earth become sinful? I think you've kind of already touched on it. Yeah. I would interject a little bit and say like when people are just recklessly clearing land, mm -hmm. recklessly killing animals and stuff, you know what I mean? In excess mm -hmm. and-, and right kind of going overboard on stuff like that. Like, oh, I do, we took down this forest because I want uh, a little hutch here where I can see mm -hmm. straight down to the lake or something. You know, you're like, whoa, mm -hmm. man. Um, I think if you get carried away in some stuff that it could become a sinful thing because maybe you're coveting, you know, something or you're being, 
you know, just you reckless. You could be motivated by greed. Most certainly. Right? Greed is a sin. So, you know, if, if the thing we're doing to the environment is because of greed and we're putting, making money above, you know, something else in that way, then yeah, it would be a sin because you're, you're displacing, you know, the proper behavior, the proper role there. So yeah, that's, that's a way that it could happen. Okay. Most certainly. I do have, uh, another scripture to mention is Noah in, uh, chapter nine of Genesis, when Noah gets off the ark says, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So he's making a change there from before the flood prior to the flood man was only supposed to eat the plants and the fruit of the trees they were not to eat meat before the flood but after the flood the environment had changed and he now says go ahead and eat these animals and now they're going to be afraid of you so we're in a position in that scripture it's it's a blessing from god to go ahead and eat meat and I, and i know some people that are Actually, the idea of, like, I won't eat meat because, you know, the cow farts are polluting the environment. <laughs> and so somehow I'll uh, I'll lower that by not eating the meat or something. Right. You know, I mean, how far you go with things is, is the thing that makes me check. Like, maybe you can make a little argument for that, but really, I, I it's hard to make the argument from Scripture. I'll put it that way. That's your own personal view, okay, yeah. but uh, don't mandate it to me, please, because no. I don't think it's scriptural to do that. And I think that's where it becomes the challenge, is when somebody butts in, and most times it's not even Christian people, will butt mm. in and say, like, we've got to do this, and we've got to take control of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you don't control anything. None of us control this. Well, and and here's another way it could happen. If you're a staunch enough environmentalist and you align yourself with certain groups, some groups go out there and do property damage to, say, a pipeline or, you know, something they disagree with, an animal farm, setting animals free. Yep. Anything like that, you're breaking a law and you're called as a Christian to obey the authorities, which you're not doing, which makes what you're doing a sin, even if you have good intentions with you know, those actions, they're out, they're out of whack. And so if you would think you could justify those actions on an environmental basis, you're now telling God that the environment's more important than him. Oh, well, you know, that's how I would look at it. Wow. Yeah. That's, that, that'd be a real stumbling block for some, someone out there thinking they're doing something right and get caught up in all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think man has become prideful when it comes to being stewards of the earth? You know, like I will fix this or whatever. You know what I mean? Do you think think we're kind of puffed up a little bit? In a way we are. That's kind of what I think when I think about any of the, the kind of government mandated things, especially that relate to like emissions and things like that. Right. In the sense that they have the idea that it's within our power to fix all of this. And they're, and they're also assuming that it was us that caused it, you know? Uh, whereas, there's evidence that shows that the earth has warmed and cooled before in its history. And in the time that we've been here, we didn't have all the 
technological advances back then that they think are causing it now. I know that we can say certain things scientifically, like something does damage here and then that affects this other thing. But we've also seen a lot of predictions that did not come true as they were predicted. And when you predict something from a computer model, and then you're wrong, and then you tell me, hey, we have to do this, and I go, why? Oh, because the computer model tells us this will happen. Well, your computer models have been wrong before. I don't know for sure that that's going to happen. Here's what I do know for sure is going to happen. God's word is always true. And I don't know unless you have a different interpretation on this one, but I take you to Second Peter 3, and he talks about the end of the earth. And in Second uh, Peter 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done on it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So God is bringing us a new heaven, a new earth, and the ultimate end of the earth is that there's a day coming that he judges it and uses fire to eliminate everything you know that is around us today. So all the efforts I can make one direction or the other will not change the ultimate destination of the earth. Right. What I'm called on is to is to live a righteous and holy life and follow God cuz I can't take anything from here into the next life and I can't save the planet either. No. And I think uh, a lot of people, when they get into this stuff, I'm not saying there's something wrong with caring about the natural world around you, but Uh you shouldn't care more about that than your salvation and your fruit bearing, you know? Right. And sometimes I get a little frustrated because it feels like, me included, sometimes put limitations on God when he doesn't have any. You know, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, you know, he you know, he might not be able to, you know, and it's like, yes, he can. If, he, if, yeah. if it's inside his will and it's what he wants it to be, it will be. And mm-hmm. sometimes I get worried when I hear Christians saying like, well, we've got to take control of all this plastic, all these plastic bottles. They're ruining mm-hmm. the earth, you know, and it's like, uh-huh. I, I'm pretty sure when he created it that he had the foresight to go, you know what? There's going to be plastic bottles. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, it, it, it's an interesting thing, too, because when they when you talk about that and the arguments for recycling and everything, right. they say, well, it, it will take this much time for it to break down and it's going to be sitting in the earth and, and, you know, that's bad and everything. Right. But it's interesting, like the idea of the move towards electric cars and things like that, <laughs> because it will help the environment in some way. But even as you do things like look at how uh, the wind turbines work for generating that uh, electricity out of the air or the solar panels and the uh, batteries that we recharge. And all of these things also have a component of using energy when we create them. And then we also have to replace and maintain those things. And we have still byproduct to dispose of when we do that. So like the idea that Going away from one thing towards the other is going to somehow save us 
Sometimes that's actually less efficient doing it the other way when you look at the whole cycle right. and how much energy is used and go, are we really getting ahead by doing this? Is, I mean, are, or are we being tricked by somebody into, you know, making their pockets lined with more cash because they, they promoted this idea to me when right. I bought it? You know? Right. And have you ever seen that? Um, it's like this little cartoon and it's an electric car. And then in the distance, <laughs> it's got like smoke pipes coming out and all uh -huh. this stuff that it took to create it. And that car would have sure. to be on the road for longer than yeah. that car is going to ever last. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, uh, okay, so maybe for this short period of time, yes, you're going to, you're coming out ahead, but it is the long-term whole picture. Is that really the solution? Right. I don't know. I I'm not sold. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and I always felt like. We have resources here because they were placed here. That's right. And they're for use. Yeah. They're for our use. And we aren't going on forever. They, the whole idea no. that we're going to use it up and run out, I think God knows how long we're supposed to be here for. Right. If he wasn't concerned about us running out, you know, I mean, plus we keep coming up with other technologies and things when you think of it. And this is another way, in some ways it could be pride, but in other ways it could be it could be a positive. Things like growing crops more efficiently. Right. We do that today, right? And uh, making foods that are healthier, have better yields and stuff like that. The idea that we can do things with around the environment now, and, uh, and it's not the same way it was 40 or 50 years ago where it necessarily does damage in order to extract resources. Those are completely legitimate things to say, hey, we're polluting the environment, making our water undrinkable. We shouldn't use this process in order to extract ore or whatever it is that you're doing. But then if you come up with a better way of doing it, it's okay to use that better way. I don't think it, you know, it should mean you, you can't do it at all. Right. And ultimately, don't you think if we did get too far off the path, does anybody recall Tower of Babel? Yeah, right. He stepped in and corrected us there, didn't he? And I think too, he supplies all of our needs, right? Amen. And so the, the idea that I'm worried that we're going to run out, things don't always go the way they think they're going to, right? And some of the environmental disasters that have happened, like that Exxon Valdez oil spill, right? They made predictions like when it happened, oh, this is going to be a disaster for the next 20 years or 30 years or, you know, whatever impact they expect that this is going to have. And then they find out actually like six or seven years later, they're like, all this stuff is bouncing back and, and regrowing that we thought was going to be dead for X many more years. And wow, how wonderful. I think that's God's resiliency of nature that he built into it that allows for that kind of stuff to happen. Or it could even be God repairing his the damage that we did. And interesting that you bring that up just because, you know, on, a, on an aside, on a brief aside, look how resilient the immune system is. Yeah, <laughs> And it bounces is. back from stuff. Not going to say any specific names because I don't want this taken down, uh -huh. but, but uh, it's just interesting, isn't it? God made both the way the nature functions and the way our body functions right from the beginning. Yep. You know, he knew Amen. what he was doing. <laughs> Amen. Yep. You can't tell the best scientist ever that his science is off. And it's amazing because in our modern age where we have a big embracing of evolutionary thinking and 
if you really dig, go out and look, uh, do some searches on the internet, and you can find out that scientists disagree about almost everything there is. Yeah. There isn't for anything that one group of, you know, they run a headline, the scientists say X, you know, drinking coffee is good for you, drink coffee is bad for you, whatever it is. Yep. And then there's another group that will say why there's a problem with that study, why they don't think they don't agree, right, ever. Yep. And so in environmentalism, there's the same thing. There, there are scientists who say, we don't believe global warming is happening, or we don't believe it's man-made, or we don't believe we can fix it. And just the inability to even have a debate about it with some people, like they just think, oh, you know, I read this in Newsweek and they can't be wrong, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I'm just like, you know, people don't always agree about this stuff. And, it, and it's been this way forever. But if you look back in, in history of scientists and you look at people like Newton and uh, can't remember all the names off the top of my head, but like Pascal and, and different great scientists, all of these guys read the Bible. All of these guys believed in God and believed in a God that created the universe in an orderly manner. And that's how they came up with the ideas and the theories and the things that they did. They were looking for the order to better understand God's creation. They weren't exalting man above God. They were looking at us as, well, our God is a God of order and he made us, so we should be able to find this order in the universe. And that's how so many great scientific discoveries have been made for centuries. And people are confused on what science is. Science is not a religious sect or anything like that. You and I can go outside and we can observe the natural world around us. That is science. I plucked this blade of grass. Now, you know, let's watch and see what happens in this little area where I plucked it from. You know, or what, whatever we're trying to observe, is it mm -hmm. repeatable and can you observe it? Yeah. Can you test it? And that's real hard science. And then you've got this speculative science, which is like historical things. Talking about the origins of the earth. Right. Um, no human being was there to see it. Okay, so so you can believe what the Bible says about it, or you can believe what you think science says about it. But if you look into it better, you'll find out they don't really know that much for sure. They have a lot of theory. They don't have much that they know for sure. But, you know, I'm uh, I'm too educated on that one to debate that with people because I've been to the Creation Museum twice. <laughs> so and, and I've read my Bible yep. <laughs> and I, I've read a lot of science and uh, and creation type books and literature. I love it. Uh, it's a good starting point on this conversation, Rick. I think mm -hmm. on another edition, we should talk about other aspects of the environment and such. Um, I think there's some other places we could kind of pivot to, to, to branch off, you know, as far as like the having enough for this, this, and this, and how man intervenes and says, you know what, we need to kill off all the wolves in this area because they're killing such and such, and they're doing this, and they have this big mess. Us trying to exert our control because we moved into an area that they lived in before us, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Isn't that a bone of contention, whether it's an animal yeah, or a or group human. of people? Uh, yep. <laughs> Seems to happen more frequently than, than we uh, would like to admit. I thank you so much for uh, joining me on this edition. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, happy to be with you again. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Candid Christian Conversations. Where do you stand? Should Christians be environmentalists? You can head to standfirmmedia.com and chime in. We'd love to hear from you. 
For Rick, I'm Hank. Until the next time, we're signing off. Thank you for listening to Candid Christian Conversations. Feel free to submit your feedback by heading to standfirmmedia.com feedback. Thank you.